welcome to the 60th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Chris Delaney is a hypnotherapist, interview coach, and author. Chris is dyslexic and always had a list. He was a slow reader and had to look up words. It took him seven weeks to read his first book. However, his work ethic set him apart. He worked in a warehouse. It wasn't as fulfilling as he thought it would be. So he volunteered to help kids. He learned so much by helping kids. As a result, he was an amazing trainer when he got a chance to teach people how to do things. Today, he helps people with their careers and helps them level up. Listen to this episode to learn more about his journey and what he did to set himself apart. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, welcome, Chris. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what you do? Uh, yep. So my name is Chris. I'm an, an interview coach. I'm a hypnotherapist as well. I'm basically, I've got a passion for helping people to succeed in their life and their career. Wow. How'd you get into that? Well, I've always been kind of passionate about helping people. So I left uh, school with no qualifications, kind of no education, but I just wanted to get into the industry, like giving people support and advice. So I ended up like volunteering with scout groups and youth groups and disabled groups and kind of learned that I was passionate about this, learned some new skills. And then I kind of went out there to get some training and some qualifications in that in that sort of sector. Wow, that's interesting. So let's take it back to high school. What did you want to be in high school and how was high school like for you? High school was weird for me because I was dysle- well, I'm dyslexic and I had this terrible lisp as well. So I couldn't really talk well. I couldn't kind of like read and write well either. Uh, so I kind of being, ended up being a bit of a joker and I loved drama. Because of those two things, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actor. That's my, that's my life ambition. I'm going to get on stage and be an actor. But to be honest, when you can't really speak, which is the main skill of being an actor because of my lisp, <laughs> it wasn't going to work for me. Nice. Then did you end up finishing high school? How was the what was that like? I'd finished high school, but in England, you kind of like no matter what grade you get, you finish anyway. You don't have to repeat a year or anything. So I left high school, but my maths and English and science, which are the three main qualifications in the UK, were just really poor qualifications, like just the the bottom level. Um, so I kind of left. Never thought about education. Never thought about you know, a professional career. I just left and got a job in uh, in a warehouse and doing manual work. And I, I kind of envisioned that was my life forever, just doing horrible, dirty, minimum wage jobs. And I'll never, you know, I'll never succeed to anything that people would class as being successful. Why did you sort of have that mindset? Like, why did you think of yourself that way? When did it change? I think it's kind of like the environment you grew up in. In England, I grew up in a council estate and the norm actually for people who lived on that estate was to go to go to work. So work ethic was really strong. You know, you, to get your money, you should like go out there, do a full day's work. And education wasn't like a big thing. And then because it was, you know, dyslexic, didn't get enough qualifications, the whole world of going to like college and university just never really entered my mindset. And I just thought I'd have to like work hard in the manual labor jobs and just try and get a wage in, you know, doing that really. How long did you work in a warehouse? I kind of skipped to different ones, uh, doing some like terrible jobs. One of my jobs, I had to climb up this like pulverizer machine. And on top of the pulverizer machine was these massive blocks of bitumen. So if you imagine big concrete blocks, but black, these are these bitumen blocks. You make tires out of them. And my job was to pick up a sledgehammer on top of this pulverizer machine and then like smash it and smash it and smash it and turn it into small blocks and then got pulverized. 
eight hours a day on top of this machine in this red hot warehouse. I remember doing that one day and thinking, this isn't for me. Like, I need to go out and do something different. But I just didn't know what to do because I didn't have the education. And that's when I started volunteering because I thought, if I can't get paid for doing something I'm going to be passionate about, just go and volunteer and kind of, you know, have the work where you get the money, but you don't enjoy it. But in the evening, I can go and help these kids and help the disabled adults. So just do it for free. And that was the first stepping stone. How was it helping those kids? Because I could imagine there was a lot of, you really, you saw a lot of yourself, right? Kind of like a lot of the kids struggling. Definitely. And I realized quite early on that my, I did have the skill set to help people. Like I was a great listener. Uh, I was able to kind of empathize with people because of my background as well, like you said. But um, I had this, I didn't know where it came from. I had this skill about getting people to feel better about themselves. So people used to always like come away from like meetings with me or sessions, kind of like smiling, feeling excited. And the carers or the parents from the kids used to come back and say like, it's been like a real big change since I've been working with you in the in the youth groups and the scout groups. And I just, I just realized early on that, oh, I've got this, this skill set that I should like build upon. Nice. So how did you build upon the skill set? Just by volunteering? So I volunteered first, kind of got into um, running activities and doing uh, games and all the activities and games were all around like problem solving or communication. So I was always like keen on getting the kids to upskill and I needed to get them to be motivated to kind of like joining these activities. So I got interested in how people got motivated and where people's confidence came from. I realized at that stage that I needed to learn to read better and start reading books around this sort of like topic. And like I said before, my education was quite poor. So the first book I read took me something like six or seven weeks to, to read the whole book. And it's like a really thin, basic book. And that was like, kind of like the second stepping stone that I wanted to get out there and get more knowledge and more experience. So I started reading, started implementing what I was learning from the books um, into the sessions. And then luckily got sent on some training courses through the youth providers that I volunteered, volunteered with. Was there any book that really stood out to you in the beginning? I got a coaching book. So I learned like loads of stuff around like team building games and activities. And I got this like kind of like dead basic coaching for dummies type book. Uh, and I started uh, reading that. And what I learned is the way you phrase your questions makes a big difference to people. So I could say to you, how was your weekend? And you might say something really positive or something really negative. And some of the kids that we work with came from, you know, backgrounds where it was quite negative. And I learned if you ask, what was the best thing about your weekend? They then had to focus on the positives, not the negatives. And that's when I started reflecting on my own conversations with these young people, realizing that they were the types of questions I've been asking for the last couple of years. So that coaching book kind of got me into this idea like, oh, maybe I've got this skill that I can develop and I can maybe turn that into some type of job or some type of profession. What were you most proud of when you were volunteering? I remember uh, this young kid who came to join the scout group that I was running and he lived in a care home uh, and his care leaders used to bring him down. Uh, and the group I had was quite like full of extrovert, noisy, you know, kids who would run around and make lots of noise and, and just have lots of fun. And this kid walked in and he was so quiet, so shy, so, so introverted. And he didn't want to join in in any of the games, didn't want to do anything, but he was kind of happy just sat watching. So we'd go over, chat to him and encourage him, support him. And he came back a couple of times and he always sat down and didn't really join in. Uh, but he enjoyed just being there with all these other kids. And then eventually he started joining in and started doing these activities and joining with all the other kids. And three weeks after we joined in the first session, his care worker came to, came to see me. 
And he said to me, I don't know what you're doing, but since he's joined your scout group, he's gone to get milk. I was like, what? He said, he's been going out getting milk. I was like, I've got no idea what that means. And he said, what happens is in the care home, when we run out of stuff, people go out and get the milk and get the cornflakes and all the kids will go out and do the shopping, but he would never go out because he was scared to go out the care home on his own. And then one day, he just went, I'll go get the milk. And then went off to the shops on his own. So the care staff had to follow him secretly to make sure that everything was okay. But this was like this big moment for this kid who went out and got the milk and then started being really confident and doing lots of different things on his own. And his teachers were feeding back that he was doing well at school. The care staff were seeing this like massive change in him. And they said it was because of me and the other scout leaders. And I remember thinking... I, that's it now. I, I take that big box. I've made, I made a big difference in someone's life. Wow, that's amazing. And it's crazy how it's like, oh, it all starts with something small, right? Something small. And then, you know, now he's probably doing amazing things. What came next? You're still working at the warehouse and you're volunteering. How did you leverage this into your next opportunity? I always think to be successful in kind of like your life or your career, you need two things. You need a bit of passion. You need to kind of be motivated and passionate about something. And then you also need a bit of luck. So I had like a massive lucky break. Um, the government in the UK put all this funding for people with no qualifications to get like a very basic low-level qualification. So I got like a warehouse qualification. But alongside that, I was able to learn how to drive a faultless truck. So, you know, like the trucks that come and lift up the pallets and take it around the warehouse. Yeah. So I did that. And me and a couple of colleagues was on the course. Uh, and lucky, I was picking up this, you know, driving the truck quite quick. But some of the colleagues were really struggling, was crashing into the pallets, like nearly running over the tutor, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. And it's because I was really nervous and anxious, and I just felt quite confident on the truck. So I taught them some of the techniques that I used to teach the young kids that I support who were who were like confident about visualizing, about controlling your breathing, um, and I taught these um, these adults the same techniques that I was teaching the kids. And then they got in the truck. And then just started driving it like there was experts because I just felt more confident. So the guy who taught me, the trainer, he went back to the company. He was one of the managing directors as well. He was just there on the random weekend because his staff was off ill. So he just like filled in. He went back to the other partner and said, this guy was amazing. Had all these like nervous adults. He said something to him and then they just became really confident. We need to hire him and get him onto our team. So they offered me a job offered to pay for my faultless truck training license, which was like two or three grand, and then like quadruple my wage because I was on like under minimum wage. We didn't have minimum wage in those days. And then like offered me this really, what I thought at the time was a really big salary. So it was kind of like I was passionate about helping people, learn some skills, and then just got this massive lucky break. Wow. It's just interesting how these things work. Like this volunteer position working with kids. I mean, adults are just kids, right? In bigger bodies anyway. And then kind of just helping these adults. So now you quadrupled your wage. Now, how'd you, what'd you do at this job? So you trained people. What else did you do? So, yeah, so we basically went out and did three-day faultless uh, truck training courses. And then eventually I was able to get my MVQ qualification so I could then watch people in the warehouse doing like the warehouse job and then give them like the, the basic warehouse qualification that I kind of got a couple of years before. So I just started progressing quite naturally in these different career roles. So I was loving this job. And then the guy who owned the company and his partner decided to sell the company uh, and go off to Australia. And I remember in that moment thinking, oh my God, like what's going to happen? I've been here two years. 
doing quite well. They, they kind of sold up the company, closed it all down. There was like no opportunity. I thought, I'm going to have to go back to like working in warehousing again. And I thought I was going to have to step back. That was like one of the downsides for me in my sort of career. So you had to go back down? Well, I remember going to my old boss and thinking and saying to him, uh, I'm going to have to try and reapply for my job here. And he was like, yeah, you know, you can, whenever you want a job, you can come and work here. But I also thought, why am I going to give up this opportunity? So I went out and started to apply for different sort of training type jobs uh, and managed to, to get another job role. But this time it was helping unemployed people uh, get into the world of work. Um, so you met uh, groups of unemployed people and they came to see you for a couple of weeks. And then you do stuff like confidence building, but a little bit of CV building, interview techniques. And this is the time when I started moving into this new careers industry and working with adults, but supporting uh, not just with their personal confidence, but confidence in the career sector as well to help people progress with their careers and to get jobs. How long did you stay at that? And how did you get good at that? I stayed there for quite a while. I really enjoyed that, actually, helping and meeting lots of different people. I think after four years, I was working in this training center and the manager went off ill for like a long period of time. And the year your manager came around and was saying, was said to me, the manager's off ill, I'm going to get a replacement, but you kind of have to like hold the fort for a couple of weeks. And I thought, this is my second lucky break. So I said to her, I remember saying to her, I'll hold the court for a couple of weeks, but you don't need to search for anyone because I can manage this this small training center with the, with the training staff on my own. And she was like, oh, okay, you're looking a little bit cocky. But she's like, okay, I'll give you two weeks then. So I worked the hardest I've ever worked in two weeks to make that training center like really successful and i remember like just taking down all these like old out-of-date posters and just like cleaning the office but it was like dirty and getting rid of old newspapers and then creating like job boards and you know, creating like to-do lists and like just like hoovering painting the skating board and all this stuff so she came out two weeks later and she was like oh god the office looks really nice but more importantly all the um clients who came in was all like job searching and had like loads of interviews set up because i kind of like motivated them to to make this like big push and she offered me the uh, management position after that and i was able to do like a year a six-month trial as a manager and then that ended up being a couple of years working there as a manager but again I kind of like a bit of passion bit of motivation my work ethic is really strong so I think that's the thing that makes me stand out if you don't get an education when you're early on you often have really strong work ethic don't you because you kind of have to stand on your own two feet sort of thing and I think that's really helped me in my career yeah and if you don't have work ethic you'll just kind of you won't get the benefit of the doubt and people will stereotype you in a lot of ways now well, KBX, you mentioned you did this for a few years. Why did you sort of leave and what attracted you to your next opportunity? At the same time as doing this, I started my own business as well. So I became a life coach, went on a couple of life coach courses, and then was using the skills I was working with the volunteers and the kids and in the training centers, but with, with clients. Uh, so I kind of got a, a little website set up and started advertising everywhere. And I remember getting my first client and I was so nervous and I met her in a coffee house. And I think I charged like ten pounds for this like hour session, like just like the lowest amount ever. But the coffee house was like really noisy. It was like kids screaming in the corner. It was like just the, the first client, the worst environment I could have took her to. But again, I was able to kind of help her because I kind of learned all these people skills prior to being a life coach, and I was able to implement everything into that session. And I thought, oh God, I can I, I can actually make money now, like helping people on my own. So I started build up my own life coaching business and. From there, I got into kind of learn about NLP and hypnotherapy and other sort of techniques about helping people at the subconscious and unconscious level. 
So what is NLP? So it's a type of um, coaching called neuro linguistic programming. Um, so it got really popular in like the nineties, I think it was. But you allow it's it's um, it's a load of techniques basically to help people overcome like fears and phobias and confidence like really quickly. So I was able using NLP and some other techniques like hypnotherapy to um, get rid of people's lifelong phobias in like a one hour session. So people come to me with like a fear of spiders that I've had for like forever. And I was using these NLP and hypnotherapy techniques to get them to overcome it. And I was like having like massive success. It was great it was. Wow, that's crazy. What was it? You mentioned NLP hypnotherapy. What is hypnotherapy for those of the audience that don't know? Yeah, so, so yeah, so it's just using hypnosis in therapy, basically. So you often just get someone into like a relaxed state. And when you're in a relaxed state and you're thinking about the thing that you used to be scared of or nervous about. So just imagine going to a job interview and you're always terrified. So your fear is so bad that sometimes you don't even attend the job interview. When you're thinking about a job interview and you've got that fear, just the mention of the word job interview will send you into that panic, into that, that anxiety. So what we do using hypnosis is get someone to relax. And when they're in a state of deep relaxation, then start bringing in the idea of the job interview for this situation. So they relax and then start associating that relaxation with a job interview. And as you build those two bridges together, uh, they can then eventually go to the job interview feeling relaxed and feeling calm. So that's kind of what hypnosis is. It's getting people to relax, getting them to think about the thing that they're scared of, and then bringing those associations together. Wow. And then, so you really combine these to really get results for your clients. Yeah. So for me, I think that's what I've done, actually. It's a really good way that you put that. I, I always combine like the things that I feel work well for people. So the coaching, the different types of questions, the hypnosis, the NLP, all these, all these stuff. I always combine and try and get the best bits and then use that to help people to be successful. Now, throughout your career, was there ever a time a lack of a college degree held you back? Yeah, definitely. Because I think my passion like was massive to uh, help me overcome the, the barriers of job interviews. But in the job interviews and in the application stage, they're always asking what qualifications do you have? So when I was applying for these like training positions, they always wanted to know what my qualification was. Other people I was up against have degrees and it was like a real negative. And you could see it when you got asked in the interview, you're like, oh, what's your level of qualification? You're like, well, <laughs> I got really low GCSEs. It was like a massive negative. So what I always had to focus on was my skills, my experiences, my passion, my self-development, my drive, my motivation, and focus the interview on that. Um, but not having the qualifications did hold me back, especially initially when I didn't have loads of work experience. So the transition from volunteering to paid work was really hard. I had to go to a couple of different interviews to pass that job interview because other people had, had qualifications and experience and I had none of that. I just did some volunteering work. Did it ever become easier once you became more confident? Yeah, that like confidence for me is the emotion that uh, helps you climb the mountains because when you're not got confidence, you sometimes don't even want to try. So when I left school and I had this limiting belief that I'll just work in manual handling, dirty sort of warehouse type jobs, it's because I had no confidence in myself and never thought being dyslexic that I'd ever um, achieve anything in, that, in the career industry. But once I started believing in myself, my personal confidence and my self-esteem grew, 
you know, nothing could hold me back. I, if I wanted to get into the, the uh, I don't know, science sector now, even though I've got no science qualifications, I know I could do that. It might take me a long time, but if that was my goal, I'd work towards that goal and make it a success. You can do anything you want to do when you believe in yourself. It just sometimes takes hard work. It can take a long time and it can take dedication, but nothing can stop you. Nothing can hold you back apart from yourself. Now, have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree? Yeah, definitely. Going to those interviews was horrible at the beginning because not only did I not have a degree in those early days, I didn't even have any maths and English qualifications. And sometimes you used to have to sit maths and English test as part of your, the recruitment process. And I really struggled, and especially with my English, because my dyslexia meant that I couldn't spell very good and I, I got words kind of mixed up and I just didn't really understand the meanings of different terms as well. I really struggled with anything uh, along the numeracy and literacy lines. I had to go and try and get those basic qualifications once I started getting into this professional career sector because it was like part of the demand they wanted you to be at a certain level with your maths and English. So I felt nervous. I felt like an imposture. I felt that other people was going to get the positions uh, over me. Um, so not having the qualifications was like a, a real block, really, like a mental block as well as a, a real block that the employees wanted you to have. Now, how did you get over that mental block? One, I'm like, I was kind of like, my self-esteem and confidence was growing all the time because doing stuff like helping people overcome a phobia in like an hour was like, you know, if I can do that, like, I must be able to do anything with it, like hypnosis magic. <laughs> uh, and then because I was kind of like believing in myself a lot more, that was just making me more confident all the time. Because I went off and started reading these books on like help, self-help and hypnosis and LOP, I started learning language. I started learning language a lot more. So that first book that took me, you know, weeks to, to read it because I'd get a word that I couldn't understand and get the dictionary out and then check that word and I'd have to like then reread that paragraph. So it took me so long. But I started learning how to read these what used to be quite complicated language. But because my professional job meant I had to write reports all the time as well, I couldn't spell certain words. So I couldn't spell stuff like separate at the beginning. It was like a word that I always misspelled. So I wrote separate out like a thousand times. So it got embedded into my mind. So I, I just wow, did like, like was it literally that? Yeah, just like in like rows and rows and rows, and then learned like mind techniques as well. So for separate, I always think of a parachute because it's spelled S E P A R A as in para for parachute. Ah, okay. So I use like mind and image techniques uh, to help remember certain words I had to spell on a lot in my job. So as I started like learning different words. Again, it just kind of reinforced my confidence and my ability to grow and develop, even though it was taking me a long time with my spelling. And then eventually, um, you know, my spelling was at a level where I ended up writing books. I, you know, I'm an author now as well. So I've gone from this. I just find it dead funny because the two things I struggled with as a kid was speaking. And as a, as a hypnotherapist, you have to speak to your clients all the time. And then the second thing is my spelling and my reading was terrible. Now I've got a couple of books out. Bond's got a couple of spelling mistakes in. <laughs> hey, look, as long as people understand it. So what are the topics of your book? Can you talk more about your books? Yeah, so I have like three books. I got two published and one self-published. So the two big ones are my interview books. So I've got one called Influence the Interview, which is kind of using like the NLP and the hypnosis uh, and psychology to help people pass the job interview. And the second one that's just kind of on the pre-release month now. It's, uh, it's pre-release now and then getting launched in August. 
is called the interview identity. So it's a, a model based on how you're perceived by the employer. And you have one of 16 identities and some identities you'll never get a job offer because it's so low. And others that you're, you're quite likely to be successful. And it's based on really your level of confidence in a job interview and then your level of industry knowledge and experience. So if you're coming across like you know what you're talking about and you've got those experience and the skills and your confidence quite high, those two things make you quite successful in a job interview. But if you've got a lot of experience, but your confidence low, you don't really talk a lot or you sell to close weaknesses a lot more. So you, you're unlikely to get offered the, the job role because your self-promotion's at a lower level. If you talk a lot, but you've got no experience, you're quite likable and the pause is very easy to make with you because you're this extrovert-friendly person. But for the technical questions, you're not going to pass the scoring criteria, the job interview, because you don't really know what it is you're talking about. So you can talk the talk, but you can't walk the walk. So the interview, but the recent book is based on that year interview identity. Yeah, I've worked with some clients, and I'll tell you, like obviously, I'm not as good as you when it comes to like the hypnotherapy. A uh, handful of people, and I, I chose not to work with them because their confidence level was so low that I I knew I couldn't help them. That you know, no matter what, it was always like, no, this is not me, and you know, they needed that there. I mean, they had a therapist, so. I was like, look, the, the therapy, the therapist got to have to do your job because if you have, I said, look, your your skills are not the issue, this or that, but your attitude and confidence level, and that's not something I can really fix, right? Someone with more experience or that level of expertise. So for the listeners, make sure you have at least some level of confidence because trust me, there's probably someone dumber than you with the job you want, and they're probably not as good as you, right? So don't hold yourself back. What is your biggest accomplishment throughout your career? Well, the books actually because. I just I never, ever thought I'd write a book. <laughs> so to get people like buying a book and then you get emails from the customers sometimes kind of saying, oh, you know, I've got this, you know, 50,000 pound pay rise or whatever. So uh, writing a book, so I was like, that was like my personal biggest achievement. But really, it's the, it's the people who have these phobias and the confidence issues. And when you see them, like you, you come randomly meet people in the street and they're like, oh, I'm dead confident now and I'm doing this or... I just, I just love that. I just love that I can make this um, difference in someone's life. And what I find as well is, say someone comes to you for like a phobia problem and you get rid of the spider phobia, that then spreads into other parts of the life. So they'll come back to me and say, it's really weird since meeting you. Like my family saying that I talk more about family gatherings or I'm doing more, more successful in my career or, you know, my relationship's better. And sometimes one problem or one limiting belief or one fear or anxiety spreads into other parts of your life. So by taking that away, people become more confident or happy or uh, the self-esteem increases in different areas of their life as well. And I kind of love that. I can, I love that I can make a difference in someone's life, but on like multiple levels. So like a ripple effect, basically, like, you, you know, you drop the pebble and just spreads and it, the waves keep on getting bigger and bigger and impacting other parts of their lives and their skills. Dyslexia obviously has sort of hindered you early on in your life. And now you really knew how to live with it. Was there any help in school for your dyslexia? Like, how was that? Oh, yeah. So I used to have to go to a speech therapist uh, once a week. And then my dyslexia kind of got diagnosed quite late so i don't think people kind of knew what it all was early on but i remember like getting a dictaphone and they said instead of writing things down you can just talk into the dictaphone but i was kind of in one of those schools where if you was a little bit different you, you was going to kind of get like bullied a little bit so i didn't want to kind of pull out this big dictaphone and be like 
I kind of like, I avoided letting my friends and my classmates know about my dyslexia, even though they knew, but um, I kind of like didn't want them to know. I really struggled as well because I used to be in like the lowest set for maths. I was kind of like at the at the highest part for the lowest set of maths, so kind of like the best out of all the other kids in the, in that lowest one. So they kept me then moving me up to the second set, but I just I couldn't. It was too big of a jump. I couldn't get it. So then I was like the worst in the in the second set. So then I'd go back down, and then I'd be okay. I was like beat like a yo-yo, like in maths, like the maths yo-yo kid. But that knocks your confidence because you think, oh, I'm doing well. Oh no, I'm doing rubbish. Oh, I'm doing well. Oh no, I'm doing rubbish again. Um, so yeah, it's, it was a funny time. I remember having this really good drama tutor though, uh, which is probably one of the reasons I wanted to be an actor early on. I couldn't say certain wor- words when I had the lisp. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. Just say a different word that's got the same meaning. And I remember thinking, what a great shortcut. You can't say the word, just pick a word you can say with the same meaning. And I remember trying to apply that for like different parts of my life. If, just use different shortcuts to achieve the thing that you want to achieve. You know what? It's always interesting, like these people who give us advice and you're like, aha, why didn't I think of that? And it, it really makes a big impact, right? Now... Well, when did dyslexia become easier for you? Like, how did you, was it practice? What techniques did you use to over make it sort of live with it? So when I was in school, I remember getting this really good piece of advice from a drama tutor, which is why I think I wanted to be an actor when I was young, because this drama tutor was like amazing, like really supportive. Because I had a list with loads of words that I couldn't say because I just couldn't pronounce them. She said to me, don't worry about that. You can't say that word, just pick another word that's got the same meaning. And I remember thinking, that's great, isn't it? Like a little shortcut. I've never really thought about these shortcuts. Uh, so I started using shortcuts in different areas in my life. A little bit like when I learned hypnosis and LLP, I used some stuff that I thought was really use- useful for that when I was helping people in the employment industry. And I, it's quite good to learn one thing and put it into different parts of your life. A little bit like the confidence thing with my clients. You get confident to, I don't know, see a spy that you used to be scared of. You'll get confident in different areas of your life. So shortcuts are a great way, aren't they? A great way to keep developing yourself. Nice. No, I, I think that's a very good technique. Now, for your dyslexia, what ended up helping? So my dyslexia, I really struggled, I struggled with that actually because... It was quite, it was quite, quite severe when I was young, and I really struggled to get motivated initially to like want to learn to read and write, and then the kind of getting into the self development and reading the books was one of the first motivations. And like I said before, like writing the words out loads of times, like taught me things, and then uh, using visualization techniques was was another way to learn how to spell uh, different uh, words that I struggled with. But because I started um, my business up, my coaching business. And your clients are kind of online by now. I knew I had to get into like blogging. So I got into blogging a little bit and I had to then write for the blogs. And it was just like, it was one of those things that I needed to learn and I needed to like find techniques and shortcuts to overcome my dyslexia. But it was like a hard struggle for me because it wasn't an overnight success. I didn't one day wake up and, and could spell it, everything. Like even now, like my spelling is so much better. My grammar's better. And I've done some of my basic English qualifications, but I still struggle. I have to get the dictionary out all the time. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where I have to be motivated. I have to keep that motivation strong with my dyslexia. No, I mean, it's tough because it's always tough to work on the things that we sort of struggle with or the things that are harder, right? Especially when it comes a lot easier to other people. Yeah, yeah, like with that as well, like the problem I got as well, because I'm a coach, I can't, it, that, it's not an excuse now not to not do it. Cause I'm always like, you can achieve anything. You can 
put your heart and soul and you can do it. So if they, if they say, well, are you learning to spell? I go like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. Now, what mistakes have you made? Oh, like so many. Like how many do you want? I've got loads of it. Always making mistakes all the time. And stuff like, you know, like just writing the book as an example. I, I started to write the book without thinking about the end game. It just, it was like pouring out of me rather than kind of like setting it all out. So I kind of learned from that because it took me ages in the ed- editing the book and having to like go through it and break it all down. So with the next books, I was able to storyboard the ideas a lot more. Same thing like with my clients. When I first met my clients, I used to spend like um, three quarters of the session just asking them to think about all the problems that they had, where I realized using like NLP and hypnosis techniques that you didn't need to do that. You was able to get straight to the, like, the, the problem and then, then help them overcome it uh, a lot quicker. But more on, a, more on a personal level is I used to be so afraid to try something because I knew other people would judge me for it. So say like, I don't know, say like I wrote a book uh, a a long time ago, I knew people would judge me for it. Or if I became a life coach before I did, I knew people would be saying, why are you a life coach? You're this dyslexic. No, you can't speak that well. And I was always worried about what everyone else would think about me. And I've learned now to drop that. You know, it's nice to think about um, people's opinions and it's nice to reflect on what you've been doing and what people might suggest to you. But really, you should go out there and just take action. You should go out there and do things. And, and if you've got like values or ambitions or your own personality, like live to the person you are. Like don't be afraid of what all these people say. Do you think as well, like, you know, most of these people that you might run and meet and might say something, who are they? Like, you're probably never going to meet them again, are you? You know, not a close friend, because a close friend would be more supportive than that. So I've been able to kind of drop worrying about what the world is going to think about me and just be who I am and, and live the life to my own rules. That's not my main advice, really. Just be you. No, that's, that's amazing advice. Now, you're 18 again. What do you do now? And 18 again, oh, wow. Well, do you know, uh, on a personal level, um, I would go out and do more outward bound activities. I'm really into camping and hiking and rock climbing. And I wish I did that when I was 18 uh, because it's such a good life uh, that I'm in. But think about your career and your education. I would be applying for job roles where it was in the sector what to be in to help people. But ones where you're going to get like qualifications paid for uh, by the organization so in england they often like upskill you and get qualifications and you get mentors and support so i'd look for a big organization where they had embedded training and development programs in there because i think that would have given me a lot of stepping stones uh, a lot early on in life that's definitely great advice what are your future goals yeah so uh my future goals are well well, I want my book to be really successful because it's like coming out now. So I was like, when it comes out, you want that to be successful, don't you? Um, the good thing about books is you can help thousands of people that you that you don't meet. And that's what I kind of like. My value is about helping people. And I'm hoping the model in this book is a model that, that people can resonate with and it can be like really successful to help them. And that's my kind of goal is to produce stuff that like just helps loads of different people. So I think like in the next... 10, 15, or 20 years, I kind of want to have more models or techniques or, you know, uh, research-based theories uh, that I can use with my clients. And then when, if I know it's successful, give it to other people so then they can help other people as well. So something that ripple effect again with helping more people across the world, across the globe. Now, what do you sort of still struggle with today? Oh, that's a great question. 
Well, definitely, I fell in with dyslexia. It's like we talked about that a lot, though. But it's definitely one thing that you know I still struggle with at home all the time. And then the other thing is, I'm so because because I've got this thing about you should always take action. I, you, you start doing lots of different things, and sometimes when you got your fingers in lots of pies, it's kind of too much to juggle. So focusing often on smaller projects and getting that project embedded and going is a great technique before starting the next one and I, I often do that because i learn from my mistakes but still because i'm creative and innovative i was like right, i'm going to design a board game this weekend or i'm going to you know do a children's book or i'm going to learn french or i'm going to do do this thing and you can get too excited and do too many things at the same time and uh, really to be successful or achieve one of your goals you kind of need to focus on that on that one goal no you know what i struggle with that too because as business owners there's always so many things we can do to grow and it's like do we do this do we do this and you just end up not really finishing any one of them right and you end up not getting anything done so that's definitely something that you know it's better to be focused get a few things done and then move on to the next thing now what's the typical salary ranges you've had throughout your career well, like I said, uh, when I got when I left school, we didn't have minimum wage in the UK. So my first job, by the way, this is going to make you laugh. When I was fourteen, because I worked in like a mini market when I was fourteen, just as a bit of a part time job, was seventy uh, p an hour. So I got seventy p an hour, which is I presume is like I don't know one twenty dollars, something like that. But I used to, but the joke was I used to go straight after school, so I was hungry when I got to the, the mini market. So then I used to buy a bag of crisps for forty p. So, so my first hour was 30p. <laughs> That's funny. That's <laughs> so that was like the, when I was at school. Then I think when I left school, I was kind of getting like £50 a week, sort of 50 to £70 a week in my first couple of jobs. And that kind of went up to like £100. And then my first professional job, when I was getting into that uh, Fortley truck license, I think like about maybe 13 or 14000 or something. But because I was going in at the bottom and having to be mentored and trained and supported. So I was kind of like the lowest salary band uh, in that organization. And even my first managerial roles, like it, in equivalent to other managerial roles, I was quite low because I, it was like my first role, didn't have a managerial degree or anything like that. So the organizations always felt they, they was going to have to support me a lot more. But because I got a strong work ethic, I used to always go in and like, you know, when you uh, compared your achievement of targets to other centers uh, around that, mine was always best performing because I used to like get get in there early, work ethic, think of all these ideas, and was very people focused. So I'd always be asking for pay rises all the time, saying, "Well, based on my achievements, I should be on like equal or more than like the the low performing performing managers." <laughs> but it was always a bit of a struggle with the pay, actually. Yeah, I mean, now do you think now with your sort of skills and your experience, you could probably get it? If you went to go back, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, I went back to those early jobs. I'd be demanding it. You know, do you ever think about having confidence as well? You're more likely to negotiate your salary. You're more likely to say no to like weak offers, aren't you? Because you're not scared that you won't get offered something else. And because you're confident, you come across as so much more competent that you naturally get offered more money anyway. Especially if you're in businesses where you can negotiate and there's um, salary bands. So yeah, like. Now I'll be like, I want the I want the highest. <laughs> I'll ask for the highest and see what happens from there. Yeah, no, I mean confidence just it impacts every part of your life. And I tell people it's like if you don't think you belong in the room, other people can just smell it, right? You can smell kind of sense. It's a sixth sense. You can kind of tell when someone's not confident because there's so many subtle things that 
in behavior, in the way they look, in the way they even posture themselves, the way they look at you. And people just, people are sort of drawn to people who are confident in themselves and their abilities. So what are the final words you have for the audience? So just because we're talking about confidence, everyone thinks confidence is this like big mountain that you have to climb. And even though inside your head it probably is, there's loads of really simple things to help yourself to be more confident. As an example, if you write down a time when you was really powerful and confident or just vividly remember that time, you'll start to feel more confident. So you'll sit up in a more confident posture, like you were saying, your gestures will be more confident and your eye contact will be more confident. All because you remember remembering a time that you was confident. So little things can give you that confidence edge. And once you do that a lot, that confidence becomes your go-to, it becomes your norm, you become the confident person that you are. So confident isn't this big mountain, it's just learning to focus more on being confident. No, I mean, yeah, that's the first thing. Just looking at it as something that's achievable, right? It's not the Mount Everest, right? Maybe it's a little hill you got to go up. Now, how would people get in contact with you? So my website's the easiest way, which is employmentking.co.uk. And then you, there's uh, all our contact forms are on that website and LinkedIn as well. I've, I've been going on LinkedIn a lot in the last six months, six and 12 months. So uh, I'm always on there as well. Okay, so we'll have those in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. It was so amazing. And I hope that someone who's dyslexic, who has a list, you know, listens to this to kind of see that it is possible. They can do a lot and they can really impact people's lives. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing in and knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if you didn't know, now you know, let's sing that again everybody, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, we're growing in and knowing, the wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, we're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going,